0: This is just what we do. You brush your teeth, you take your kids to school, do your job, your community involvement, and a part of all of it is engaging, is talking to people about issues and your values and that this is just like, this is what the cool moms do.
1: We gotta address the suburban women problem because it's real.
0: Welcome to the Suburban Women Problem, a podcast
1: for red, wine, and blue.
2: Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to the Suburban Women Problem. I'm Rachel Vinman, and you've probably noticed that we're doing the podcast a little differently this month. My co host and I have been taking turns going deep on what we have learned from the midterms. Jasmine talked to Jess McIntosh about the Georgia runoff. I talked to Victor Shee about the youth vote, and Amanda chatted with her husband Casey about running for office. So today we're wrapping up with red, wine, and blue. I'm joined by Katie Paris, the founder of Red Wine and Blue, and Renee Seckle, our Deputy Program Director in North Carolina. Welcome back to the Pod, ladies. Woohoo. So glad to be here for the Redhead exclusive event. I know. Yeah, I mean, we like to think that we include everyone, but not today. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you both for letting me be part of this um experience, I think, for the midterms I Got to see both of you when I did my tour. I was at Renee's house actually, recorded a pod there. We host she hosted an event that was just really special in North Carolina because you guys you guys have some work to do in North Carolina, but you're you're putting the time in, you're doing the work. And that was really inspiring to me. So let's let's take a broad view. I think Katie, we'll go to you first. How was election night for you? Were you surprised about how well things went? I'm going to be real
0: honest. I was not surprised.
2: I know you weren't. I, I knew what you would say to this answer to this question. I knew. You did? Well, I mean, because you're amazing. And, and I think I also felt the way as you. I mean, I, I, I was like, guys, I'm just not seeing it. You know, like I, I'm not. But you have more experience than me. And you kept telling me more than once, Rachel, um, stop with the polling. Even <laughs> though, like, I was telling people, don't look at the polling. But, but then it was hard, like, yeah. I was still doing the work and I was still hopeful, but it was, it was also a little bit jarring, but you always had the perfect response.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, Rachel, thank you. But here's what I'll say. If I went back in time and I experienced this election night, as I might have 10 plus years ago, back when I lived in DC and I was swimming in the same pool with all those folks who were doomsdaying um, the election. I probably would have shared a viewpoint that they did, Mm -hmm. but because I've been living in the middle of the country for 10 years and I have the privilege of working with red, wine and blue, speaking to women Mm -hmm. living in their communities day in and day out who live in purple places, blue places, red places and hearing what they're experiencing, what they're seeing and kind of just, you know, getting to be in this very cool spot of getting to take all that in and integrate it and try to make meaning out of it. I, could never possibly reduce what I'm learning day in and day out to a poll or two. Yeah. Um and so what what was surprising to me was when I would have conversations with my 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 old friends back in DC in the month leading up to the election and their total the devastation, the just, how are we preparing for the loss, bracing themselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for this terrible outcome? And I just said, and I would say, why, why do you feel that way? Oh, well, we're just not seeing the enthusiasm in these numbers and these numbers and these mm-hmm, numbers. And I was like, well, that's not what I felt last night when we had 5,000 people on our zoom call and women were saying, how can I help? And when we were saying, are you ready to work hard? And everyone was saying, hell yes, hell yes, hell yes, hell yes, hell yes. in the chats, like I couldn't reconcile their, you know, almighty well-informed analysis of what they were getting from like a wall street journal poll with what I was learning from human beings who are living and breathing out in the world, so I just feel, I feel like I'm doing my unlearning actually of a lot of the traditional ways of approaching politics, which have become um, less effective barometers for really knowing what's going on. And what becomes more real to me every day that I work at Red, White, and Blue is what a, a how much all of those barometers that are becoming less and less effective. All they're really trying to do is like be a fly on the wall for and understand the sentiment of like the rooms that Renee and I are in day to day. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm, so how mm -hmm. about if instead of having the imposter syndrome that we sometimes have as women trying to do this work of like, I don't know, I don't know what did make up of all this? What does it all mean? And instead just listening to those around us and believing what we hear and see, and maybe, maybe just maybe thinking that that has as much value or more than all the pontification on national television. um,
2: Yeah. uh, We wouldn't be so surprised. I, I completely agree. I mean, Renee, same question. You guys had some mixed results in North Carolina. So were you surprised? What was your reaction on election night?
1: Well, okay. So part of living in North Carolina, and I should say right at the outset, I love my state. I love living here. I love the people here. But part of living in North Carolina is being disappointed because there is so much that we could be and so much that we could do And our elections don't necessarily always reflect that desire or that Mm -hmm. progress. Mm -hmm. I tend to just focus on the things I can control and the races that I can influence. And for the races I could influence, there is no polling. We started out with the idea that we can just tell people who these folks are and what they stand for and trust that the voters will do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And certainly where I live in Wake County, they did, which is wonderful. Uh, In other places, they didn't necessarily. But even there, I'm learning from our women on the ground that just like in Wake County, and Rachel, you saw this when you were here in North Carolina, that those extremist candidates hid. They weren't out and proud and telling people what it is they believed in. Yeah. They tried to hide behind this veil of moderate. And I've heard from New Hanover County that that's how they won. Mm Mm-hmm. By pretending they weren't who they were.
0: So, you know, people look at North Carolina, and we were all very disappointed that Sherry, Be- Sherry Beasley did not win the U.S. Senate race. But Renee just mentioned New Hanover County, which is in Wilmington, over on the coast of North Carolina. That is the only school board that the extremists were able to take over across the whole state, despite running dozens and dozens of well-funded Um, well-organized right-wing candidates. And so, you know, I am really proud of Team North Carolina and all that Renee did locally in her community to beat that back. And, And seriously, the entire strategy rested upon believing in voters, trusting voters, that if they had the information, if they knew who the extremists were and what that agenda meant, what they were trying to do, that they would not vote for them, that they'd vote for common sense candidates, that they would choose common sense over chaos. They would choose community over chaos. And- Renee's community got together, made sure everyone knew and they were successful using that strategy, um, which is a very different <laughs> strategy than the other side, which is we will bludgeon people with misinformation and see if we can slide by. So I think that's, that's exciting. And not to mention in North Carolina, of course, they were successful at stopping Republicans from gaining a super majority in the state legislature. Um, which people may not be aware of as well, if you're just watching those um US Senate and, and US House races, incredibly important. It means that North Carolina will continue to stand as the one safe haven in the South for women seeking uh, protection for abortion rights and reproductive freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it has tremendous meaning. We'll also really continue to be able to protect our kids and education from extremists in North Carolina. So, so much more to do, but the local organizing that we were a part of that Renee's team led there. It made such a tremendous difference. And I hadn't even thought about that until you said it, Renee, like we didn't have polls right in any of these school board races. That's not like a thing. No, there are not school. (laughs) There are, but like, maybe that's the blessing in disguise. Like Mm -hmm. instead of putting faith in these polls, you're putting faith in yourself and your community and just doing the work.
1: Well, and it certainly drives you to work harder because even if you suspect that, you know, things are going to go, okay, that the people are going to vote the way you hope they will, you can never be certain And so you can never take it for granted and you can never stop working.
2: Renee, I can't have you on without talking about my favorite person in North Carolina. She actually kept me awake at night. I'm not even kidding. Michelle Morrow, who lost, which you kind of touched on in Wake County. But can you just give us some highlights of her craziness? Because she did not stay quiet. Now you said a lot of the, the crazy candidates stayed quiet. But she really made a tactical decision not to. And I think maybe she's incapable. She tried to have it both ways on that though, Renee, right? It was very interesting. And I will try not to
1: babble for the next hour. But it
2: is fascinating though.
1: The first thing I want to say is I did nothing alone. Like one of the magical things about this race is how much the community came together. This woman, she did attend January 6th. Give us the rundown. Yeah, she was there on January 6th. Hey, Patriots. You know, then she had not just her campaign Twitter account, but a second Twitter account and a third Twitter account on which she would say such amazing things as she would pay like they should execute Obama and put it on pay-per-view because she would totally watch that. And we're not talking back when Obama was president. I'm talking within the last two years she said this. She, of course, said that COVID is not real, that vaccines kill people, that masks are terrible. She called pregnant women skanks. Mm
2: That was another
1: favorite routinely refer to gay people as LGBTQI XYZ, you know, just this terrible disparagement. And then of course, once the campaign got underway, she would come to these uh, candidate forums and say really terrible, substantive stuff about the schools. You know, I can't leave without saying she wanted special ed kids to be segregated and she used the R word in a school board form, And she immediately knew that what she had said was wrong. She's like, I know we don't use that word anymore, but she used the word. So, you know, she was just a whole bucket of bad. You can't
0: have, you can't have people like that near our kids.
1: Yeah. This was not a situation where it was, you know, reasonable people can disagree. This was not a reasonable human being. And she made it very, very clear that she didn't believe that kids who weren't white, straight Christians were, you know, they weren't the same and weren't, going to be getting the same kind of treatment as kids who were white, straight Christians. And that's just not okay in a public school system.
2: And do her children attend
1: public school? No. Oh, that was another thing. (laughs) No, she homeschools her children. Perfect. So, you know, there were a couple of women who were acquainted with her years ago who knew that she was making these crazy videos. And they started two years ago recording videos just because they knew she was going to run for something and people got the word. Mm -hmm. Another gentleman, bless his heart, set up a table every single day at early voting with photos of Michelle Morrow at January 6th and a binder full of her tweets just so he could tell people. I ultimately, I had set up the uh, Facebook page where we had screenshots of not just Michelle, but all of the extremist candidates and no commentary, just the things that they said on social so you could see it. So ultimately she did not win. No, she did not. And in fact, didn't come very close. Is that right? No, I think uh, our candidate, Tyler, won something like 63% of the vote.
0: Yeah, but you had no polling to indicate, you know, where that would have been. And I'm glad not, you know, I mean, and it brought your community together, I think, to say, like, this is not what we want near our kids and to, you know, stand strong for your values. And that has made you guys stronger for organizing going forward, which we're so
1: excited about to be continue to support in North Carolina. And these people are still in it. These people are in it and want to make sure that in two years, this doesn't happen. In four years, this doesn't happen. These folks are now in our community is in it and still keeping the work going.
2: So before we get to our toaster joy, that's why I want to talk about, I mean, Katie, where where is red, wine, and blue go from here? And we're we're already active in North Carolina? Like what's what's next? What's the plan? Yeah, what
0: we are hearing from women in the states where we do have organizers and we're continuing to have organizers on the ground, we're not your traditional political organization that comes in, sets up shop, and then leaves when the election is over. We're about relationships, about building connections and community so that the kinds of organizing and standing up for our values in those communities that Renee has described can go on all year round and only become more powerful because like this silent mainstream majority, like... Needs to stand strong together. So um, Red, Wine and Blue is looking at stay tuned for announcements, doing a bit of an expansion of having organizers um, in an additional state coming soon. But what we really want to do is to make sure that we can show up for women, no matter where you live. And so we believe that our strength as an organization rests on the strength of our community. And that depends on the women within it. So we're going to continue to grow and continue to offer pathways for women to strengthen mm-hmm. that, um, civic muscle, yeah. you know, and, um, and to, we know that, that when women are are connected to each other and have each other's back, it not only means that you can step back every now and then, because we lead busy lives, but that more shit is going to get done and we can't stop. This has to be around. So we're going to be offering more troublemaker trainings on more issues on uh, not just organizing tactics and messaging tactics, but how to navigate you know, the press and all different sorts of uh, thorny issues that can come up along the way. Because we know that when women feel equipped and informed, that is when they are a force. So more training, more resources, more amplification of yeah. these women and their work. We are constantly going to be holding up that mirror yeah. so that women can see themselves, all that they're accomplishing and continuing to inspire so many others. So, um, that's, that's the big plan. It's to continue to shift the culture among suburban women where engaging in this kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. just like a thing you do. Yep. This is just what we do. You brush your teeth, you take your kids to school, you, you know, do your job, your community involvement, and a part of all of it is is engaging, is talking to people about issues and your values. And that this is just like, this is what the cool moms do.
2: Absolutely. You know, it's just part of what you do. Like you're right, you do all the things and you talk about politics and the issues and think about what you can do to be a member of a community. And part of that is, you know, being involved in the civics. And we got away from that and we need to get back to it.
0: And I just want to say, you know, we like to sort of, when we think about our values or sort of a tagline for red, wine, and blue is that we like to say that we're spirited, honest, and unafraid. And we are going to continue to be those things. And that means being a little bit fearless when it comes to some of these issues that can be a little thorny and sticky and controversial in our local communities. And sometimes in traditional politics, it's, oh, don't touch that, you know, just talk about the economy Mm -hmm. or whatever the thing is. But like, no, you have to talk about what's on people's hearts, you know? And that's how I think what was missed in terms of the overturn of Roe, how much Mm -hmm. of a visceral issue this was for women Mm -hmm. that wasn't just going to flit away. It's the exact same thing with school board extremism this is impacting our kids. Those things that the Renee described, that's not like a, Oh, it would be nice if she's not on our school board. It would be nice if we could prevent that. No, that is a mama bear. (laughs) No, she cannot. She cannot be near our kids. No, you know? And so you're going to get out there and you're going to work. And so we're going to keep listening and showing up for women and supporting their organizing so that they can do just that.
2: I love it. Well, count me in. And I think Renee as well. So we'll, we'll still be here. Yes, please. Okay. Well, as you both know, we at the end of every episode, we usually do a toast to joy where we share something positive that's happened in our week. In these four weeks of special episodes, we're broadening things out a bit and doing a 2022 toast to joy. So, Renee, what was something that brought you hope and joy this year? Well, I'm going to go full corny
1: here and say learning about red wine and blue and then becoming an employee, getting to be part of red wine and blue. Because on January first, twenty twenty-two, I had never heard of y'all and this community and what we can do together, and finding other women who not only want to do this work but have the resources to do this work, is just like I it makes me cry. Like I love it so much that we get to do this because there's so so much possibility and so so much room for growth here in North Carolina
2: and elsewhere. I love it. And Katie, what is your twenty twenty-two toast to joy?
0: my toast of joy here at the end of the year with red wine and blue that has experienced more explosive growth than I ever could have imagined. Like we've been looking back at our numbers and it's like, Oh, 3000% growth in this area, 500% growth in this area. Like it's just so much more than anyone would have ever like reasonably set, you know, you're supposed to set smart goals, Mm -hmm. you know, like (laughs) these have exceeded that. But within all of that, For me, it is that feeling of that we hear from women all the time of, I just, I feel less alone. I feel, I feel connected now. And I never knew going into this, that that would be the thing that that would, but I have become so in love with hearing that from people. It's like, I'm constantly like, I'm a seeker in our own community, like just for that, like, that's what keeps me going. is hearing that from whether it's, you know, someone like Renee or someone who got involved last week, you know, and it's, there's something contagious about what we're creating here. I mean, even my freaking kids, my two little boys asked me like a month ago, if they were troublemakers, can we be troublemakers? And so I just ordered them certified troublemaker hats from the red wine and blue shop for Christmas. They don't know yet. Aww. They don't know yet, but you guys, I got one for me too. So the three of us are going to be certified troublemakers Christmas morning. <laughs> so anyway, it's a community for all, whether you are, you know, a mama in her fifties or a four-year-old apparently, and I'm here for it.
1: I'm so glad you have littles that still think you're cool. <laughs> Cause my kids literally just told me the other day, we don't bring up politics at the dinner table anymore because you guys talk about it for so long. <laughs>
2: Oh, thanks honey <laughs> um my toaster joy I've, I've answered this question like eight different times in the past uh few weeks um on different podcasts and different events on our own and other things but one of the things that was most exciting to me this year even though i mean it was in the last part of the year was was the trip that i did and when i got to meet renee when i got to meet with katie and i remember one of the events and it was a great event in cleveland and um Katie came a little late because she was coaching soccer. And when we left, we just, I remember we walked outside and Katie was like, isn't this so fun? Isn't this so great? And I mean, yes, that was exactly how I felt, you know? i I mean every event, everything, because you leave thinking, these are my people. I mean, this, and this is, this is what makes it worth it because you can see the people who come and find fellowship and maybe they haven't been able to find it. In addition to learning how to make a difference, both those things are really important. It's about moving
0: past politics being transactional and embracing its transformative
2: power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, how much it, how much it's a part of us, like what we believe in, in, in these views are really personal. And it's hard if you're around people who don't validate that in any way, but find your people because they are out there. And, and that red, wine, and blue brings them together. And that's like the really special intangible, we can talk about the numbers and the metrics and the elections that we were involved in and won, and that's all really great. But there's, you know, something else there that adds that extra thing that makes it that much more special so that is my essential toast to joy i guess um for 2022 well thank you so much for coming on the podcast today we are taking a holiday break next week but we'll be back next year with season three of the suburban women problem woo woo
0: The Suburban Women Problem was created by Red, Wine, and Blue. Our executive producer is Beverly Batt. Our supervising producer is Lindsay Quist. Our producer and editor is Amy Thorstenson. Our production coordinator is Abigail Martin. And our social media coordinator is Shaley Severino. Videos by Abigail Martin and Ashley Hufford. If you want to join the thousands of women who are turning out their friends and family to vote, you can sign up for the great troublemaker turnout by going to redwine.blue.